I'd like to welcome our first sponsor to the official Do Good Better podcast, and that is DonorDoc. Listen, as a nonprofit, DonorDoc knows that you wear many different hats, and that's why they are here to help you make your life easier. DonorDoc helps you connect with your donors on a deeper level and provides you with the tools to become the ultimate fundraiser. There are other instantly cool features too, but we know connecting and staying connected with your donors are high on most of your priority lists. Hey, guess what? DonorDoc is so awesome, and I'm telling you, so awesome, that to everyone listening, they are giving you a 100% discount off your first month. That's right, 100% off. It's absolutely free to use for your first month. All you have to do is use the referral code DOGOODBETTER, and you're set. Again, do good better. It's simple. It's easy. Head to DonorDoc.com to learn more and get started. Hey, thanks, DonorDoc, for being an official sponsor of the official Do Good Better podcast. Your organization is awesome, but sometimes you want to be even awesomer. It's time to get your fundraising on with your host, fundraising expert and author, Patrick Kirby. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kirby. Uh, We talk to uh, small nonprofits doing great big things, trying to help them navigate the world of uh, philanthropy. Sometimes, though, we we talk to giant, great big hearts, giant, big, generous human beings to help the small nonprofit communities. And that's what we have today. And I am ecstatic to have uh, Eric Hatch. He's not only the uh, owner of Hatch Realty, he's the owner of Hatch Coaching. He's uh, co-founded and founded, uh, you know, the Sell a Home, Save a Child nonprofit. We're going to talk about that today. And most importantly, he's actually wrote a book and he released it a couple months ago. It's called Play for the Person Next to You. It's a guide for servant leadership. And um, everything that we're going to talk about today is completely relevant to the crazy world that we now live in. Um, I'm also blessed to have him as a, as a mentor in general, and I am ecstatic to have him on the show today. Eric Hatch, welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. Patrick Kirby, the most energetic man I know who, uh, <laughs> you, you bounce off walls. In fact, uh, I was talking with one of my team members right before this, and he's like, I, I'm like, I gotta go jump on a podcast. He's like, what do you mean a podcast? And, and I'm like, yeah, my buddy Patrick Kirby is like, is that guy for real? Like, is he always that that energetic? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, uh, I'm absolutely convinced that I've never let him supervise my kids. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good move, uh, I think, <laughs> on your part in general. I think we're drawn, I think it's, uh, I'm drawn to your personality of somebody who Thanks. is out in the public, who is screaming at the top of his lungs to do great things uh, in his best to your ability. And uh, I think we need a lot more of that, which is why I'm ecstatic to have you on the show. But if somebody's tuning in from across the country and they're looking at Eric Hatch, this guy looks interesting. Uh, 5,000 foot view on uh, who you are, what you do, and how you got uh, here. Sure. Uh, Let's start with the most important things. Uh, I'm a child of God. Uh, married to my smoking hot wife, Emily. Uh, she's a first grade teacher and everything that I am not. So where I am uh, chaotic and uh, loud and boisterous, she is calm and peaceful. And uh, she is definitely the yin to my yang. Uh, we're the parents of two great kids, Finley and Simon, five and three are their ages. Uh, they're like at the perfect ages for fun, 87% of the time. And the other 13% of the time, it's pure hell. 
Uh, and so love being a parent. It's the coolest job I've ever had. Uh, but when I'm not parenting, uh, I am the owner of 25 different businesses at this point, uh, almost all revolving around real estate, except with a couple oddball ones in there. Like I, I own like this private bar. Like it's just random and uh, just fits into a building that I bought, but go figure. Uh, the main thing I do is uh, I run a real estate team and I run a coaching company. Uh, our real estate team uh, is in based in Fargo, North Dakota. We also have expansion markets in Grand Forks, North Dakota, Bismarck, North Dakota, and Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. So we have four offices. Uh, we're in one of the top 50 real estate teams in the country for what we do and how we, how we do it. Um, from that as well, we started a coaching company about four years ago with the desire to help redefine how people treat people. Uh, we've been coaching not only realtors, but also business owners and do-gooders around the world. Um, really, part of our philosophy is that we want to do well to do good. And uh, as somebody who has a background in ministry, I spent uh, 10 years working for the church, and I loved it, uh, but I just didn't have a great way to take care of my family. This has been the perfect blend now, as I still feel like I'm in this like ministerial do-gooder kind of world. Uh, where I now get uh, the ability to be the guy that writes the check instead of always asked for the check. It's um, it's pretty great, and I think if uh, you're a you're a fan of the show and you're and you're sort of listening in, this is why we brought Eric on today. <clears throat> I think uh, the the sort of times uh, that we're living in, uh, we need somebody like that with a background that's just sort of um, honed in on the idea of sort of giving back. And so let's just talk about that first. Uh, you were uh, gracious enough to. Uh, help out and join us at the Dugaters conference last year. And you sat on a panel that talked. Yeah, to, like um, I wasn't good enough to get asked this year, but I was good enough to get asked last year. Well, so. it's, I, see, here's <laughs> the thing. I'm doing my best to try to top you. And then that, I'm finding that exceedingly difficult. So I might bring you in to swoop in at the last minute. Oh, uh, that's <laughs> um, but we talked and we were part of a panel that uh, high capacity donors and people who uh, donate in the community. And the question was why? Right. And why not? And I think it was so eye opening. One of the one of the best stories that somebody asked, like, hey, would you support this kind of nonprofit as part of the panel? And there was a collective no. Uh, and it, and I felt bad for the person. But then she's like, no, this is the most clarifying moment of my nonprofit because it helped steer a direction that I'd never gotten before mm -hmm. in conversations. And so we were just wonderfully blessed to have um, Eric on the panel. But I would love to kind of expand that. Uh, because we're in really weird times with donors and donors capacity currently. And so how do we as nonprofits, small, medium-sized nonprofits that are just trying to survive to get to that thriving point when we come out of this, is what? how do we act and how do we converse with our donor base or people who potentially have high capacity now? Boy, uh, so running a real estate business and running a nonprofit, are, it's the same thing. Uh, it, it really is because we have to cast a wide net to figure out what fish are going to land in that net. And then we have to have a better strategy of knowing where are those hot spots and who are those relationships that will be the feeders of it. Now, I, I uh, when working for the church, I built a nonprofit called Homeless and Hungry. Uh, we raised about a million bucks and we empowered thousands of people to live as a homeless person for 30 hours. And in that time, Patrick, uh, it was this like exhausting and life giving thing because what I first had to do is I had to find my champions and to find my champions meant that it, I couldn't be the only one telling the story. 
Uh, it, it's my champions were my my high school kids that would come to a grass growing contest if we were doing that. And they're like, oh, this is the coolest, just because they were energized about what we were doing, and, and they were they were my crew, they were my hub of people, and they were the ones that built it. Like I get the credit for being the organized one to to pull it off, but they were the ones that built it. Just as Carol Baskins wasn't the one to just, you know, promote everything that she was doing. And the reason why is because she had all these volunteers and all these people that were showing up. And we can talk about donors all we want, Patrick, but I think it's more important to zoom out enough to say that this is not about the donors. This is about the volunteers because those volunteers are the lifeblood. They're the energizers of what we're doing. They're the relationship builders because in real estate, I now have a, a really cool, big, powerful team. And it's that way because I'm not front facing with my clients anymore. I am the Colonel Sanders of my business where I put my face on everything. Maybe I created the recipe, but I'm not in the kitchen anymore. And that's the same thing that goes with a nonprofit, even in its infancy stages is if you're the only one telling the story and if you're the only one getting the word out there, you now, I think have left yourself painfully short of what could be. Our homeless and hungry movement that, again, was like 15 years ago that we did it now, um, we had a goal of raising $10,000 our first year. We asked people in, in October uh, to sleep in a cardboard box, to fast for 30 hours, uh, to go without any provisions from cell phones to toothbrushes, uh, you name it, and then to raise money and to do some community service. It was this like hodgepodge thing put together, and we said, let's raise 10000 bucks. We raised $63,000 our first year with 70 volunteers, 70 participants, because I found my tribe, Patrick. That was the difference of all of this, is I found the kids that were fired up about it. We had unity and commonality because we all believed the same thing and had a passion to do more. I think that most nonprofits, when they start out, are derived from the passion of the founder, and the founder is just on fire, but they forget to bring everyone else along and to figure out what the fire is inside of those people. That's the real catch of this all is, I mean, Simon Sinek talks about your big why, right? We hear it and we, we, we are like, okay, yeah, what's your why? What's your why? But we spend our time as those running nonprofits talking about what we are passionate about. And if you want the secret, it's figuring out what the others are passionate about. First your team and then your donors. Because the only way I as a corporate businessman or I as a random Joe Blow off the street are going to give any of my money is if it aligns with my story. And you can't assume that you know what I'm passionate about. Uh, and I promise you, it's, it's not what you think. We often uh, talk about um, third-party endorsement is exponentially better than first-party solicitation. And I think what you've honed in on is that need to empower those that believe in your organization to go out and be uh, evangelical uh, individuals for the mission. And if you don't, then you know you might leave or you might get hit by a bus or you might get whatever, and then you're gone. And then what happens? And I think it is, um, it's almost selfish to a point where if you don't have um, that uh, ability to sort of uh, empower those to sort of be uh, your spokespeople and to embrace as many people as possible who could potentially be involved in your organization, then your only uh, resources are the few that you've built these deep relationships with rather than the many that could be the deep relationships when those others may go away or don't have the capacity anymore. 
And uh, you're spot on, uh, Patrick. And that's exactly why I wrote a book about servant leadership is that we can talk about fundraising, but fundraising is a leadership game. We can talk about real estate, but real estate is a leadership game. You you see, like it is that common thread in our lives that make us uh, fired up. We're fired up to do good, but we can't do good on a really high level unless we increase our leadership game. So as leaders in the nonprofit world, we're, we're, we're sort of at a standstill. I think, you know, everybody's sort of in that pause mode, or at least they're sort of moving out of the pause mode. What, what do we do? What's our first step out of the gate? I think a lot of nonprofits are trying to figure out a path forward. Um, and they're, they're listening to a billion and a half different things or hundreds of thousand podcasts and 50,000 books to read. What do we do as leaders? Uh, and and you, you, you wrote a book about it. Like, what do we do as leaders and how is that applicable to today's uh, global pandemic and, and global freakout? And how do we calm the waters? At the end of my book, I talk about my biggest fear in all this, that I, I poured my, my time, my energy, my heart into this book. And my biggest fear was that inaction would be the first step. Simply because of what I think uh, you just identified of all the influx of opportunity and data that we have, it, it's the Netflix queue. Yeah. Um, if, if I go to Netflix and if I don't know specifically what I want to watch, I scroll through for 30 minutes and I leave upset and frustrated because there were so many options. And I said, well, there was nothing good out there. And I end up just watching The Office again, which is pretty okay. Yeah. Uh, and And... and my book doesn't have all the answers. Your book doesn't have all the answers, but there's an answer in there. And it's figuring out what is my one step? What is my first step? Where am I going to go? Because ultimately, uh, if I take you, Patrick, and I drop you uh, off of a boat five miles offshore uh, and you have to swim, you find a destination. You say, okay, I need to get to that lighthouse. And you spot it and you say, that's where I'm going to swim to. And you start swimming. The problem is for these people, a lot of times they get dropped off and they're like, well, now what do I do? Yeah. And and they, and they don't act. And here's the, here's the big problem is then you start swimming and you take on some water and then you either drown or you only concern yourself with taking, uh, taking a good breath. You have to get your head above water. You have to breathe again. You have to get life back in your lungs. And for a lot of us, that, uh, that life that we need back in our lungs is finances. Uh, sometimes it's a relationship. And we have to tend to the thing that is needed the most. And the problem is a lot of us are left still stuck in the water because we took on water and we didn't regain our bearings and said that I'm going back to that lighthouse. Instead, we just like, man, this is really hard. I don't want to swim anymore. Mm-hmm. And if you have a goal, if you have a calling, if you have a passion, you need to be an even though person instead of a because person. Being an even though person means that regardless of what happens to you, uh, even though you took on water, even though you're struggling with finances, even though your time is pressed, you are still finding a way. That's the champion mentality. And so I think you were looking for a specific thing. And I'm simply going to adopt the mindset of being an even though person and an action taker instead of being a because person or somebody who sits with inaction and excuses. If you can plan all you want, you can write every business plan in the book. You can have every strategic meeting with your board of directors. You can have every uh, conversation with, with, uh, with brilliant minds or, or eccentric individuals who motivate you. 
And if you don't take a step, if you don't do something about it, you're in the same boat you were, except now you've got a bunch of ideas that are going to depress you because you're going to have that what if game. Oh, what if I did that one thing that I did? And I think this pause as a, as a, as a society and as a nonprofit, uh, you, can, you now can refocus yourself. You can get to that, like you said, that lighthouse. What's your true north? What's that mission? How do, we, how do you get? And I, you don't have to worry about how you get there. You just need to start going there. And then the, along the way, you're going to learn a whole bunch of things. Is, is, is giving back to those that gave to you and, and how you can serve your donors and supporters a part of that journey? Uh, I want to say this. Uh, when I started off as an entrepreneur, I uh, waited until I had almost everything figured out before I took a step. In fact, I didn't even identify myself as an entrepreneur. I was an intrapreneur. I was working for a church and creating things that were within that. And when you work for a church that has 100 plus years of rich history and 4,000 plus passionate members, it is exceedingly difficult. And you have to have every question answered in order to get permission to move forward. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the best things for me is I, I, I pushed for perfect right away. And I had to be perfect. I had to answer all the questions. Now, as I've been doing this game for about 15 years, it's more and more sloppy and imperfect every single yeah. time. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I know that like, okay, I'm going to the lighthouse, drop me off wherever, I'm going to figure it out. And, and before I had to know what lane I was swimming in, what stroke, how long, the materials that I needed. I, I, I was so passionate about figuring out the exactness of it and for now, uh, because I've been doing this so long, I'm like 30% is good enough for me. Like I see it, let's do it. I'll figure it out as I go. And for those of you who are in, the, in, in, in that prime spot to create and to empower, uh, don't push for that 90 or 100% because it's not necessary. You are a resilient, talented person. And when you go and speak to a donor, when you go and speak to a volunteer, your first question is, tell me about you and you're passionate about and see if it aligns. And if so, invite them in. If not, figure out what they're passionate about and make an introduction to someone that could be a connector for them. Uh, you and I and Patrick have a mutual friend of Greg Tavine, mm-hmm. uh, a guy in the Fargo-Moorhead community who is the most connected person that I know. And he has introduced me to some relationships where he didn't have a solution for me, but rather he just introduced me to someone that was like, oh my gosh, how much benefit did I just get from Greg? Because he was this catalyst. He didn't do anything outside of introducing. And therein lies one of these great secrets is we, again, are looking to be our own promoters, our own flavor flaves, our own hype people, right? And then but you didn't expect a flavor flavor reference. Today. I didn't. I got a Carol Baskins and I got a flavor flavor reference in this podcast. That's that's SEO. That's SEO gold, baby. Uh, and instead, uh, if you can be that third party, you know, find find that person who endorses you, and the way in which you're going to be a great, uh, the way in which you're going to get great great endorsements is if you endorse other people. Yeah. And the way in which you're going to get great relationships is if you bring great relationships to other people. Just like if you want to be a great spouse. You need, if you want to have a great spouse, you need to first be a great spouse. And it's your, your ability to give and to be for other people is that key that will unlock those things that you're looking for. You said something interesting about uh, the sloppiness of, of moving forward and not getting it perfect. 
Uh, do you think it's more authentic that you're not at this point? I mean, is there an authenticity to not being picture perfect anymore? Um, because I think that when donors and, and volunteers and individuals come by and they see this pristine, everything is about your organization is perfect. There's no, there's nothing out of the ordinary. It's a little like Stepford Wives esque and a little bit suspect. You know, how does how does not being perfect or knowing all the answers breed authenticity to you, not only your business, but the way that you work with nonprofits? Well, that's a really great point, Patrick. And, I, you know, good is great and great is good. <laughs> if, if, if you're looking for something to be so pristine and buttoned up and you have all the answers and you've designed this perfect website and logo and you have these great materials that support it, like, I can't, I can't say I'm fired up about it because it appears as though you have your act together and there's a beauty with nonprofits and there's a beauty with movements of this rawness and this ability to say, I can not only make a difference with my dollars, but I can also help this person develop their rhythm as they go. And that is, that is life giving on the nth degree. Um, uh, I grew up at, at the church uh, of First Lutheran in Fargo, and that was eventually where I worked as well and spent uh, eight years in the ministry there and then another year and a half at a local college campus. The stories I hear all the time from people are the fact that uh, those that believed in me and helped me go and now see where I'm at, they get to have their story told in that as well. Not that I'm this like ultimate success story, Patrick, but rather it's this idea that they invested in me, not just in the thing that I was passionate about. And if I had everything figured out, there was no room for investment. And being raw, being, I'm such a huge Brene Brown fan and her ability to talk about vulnerability and transparency. Um, we're doing a fundraiser right now. Hatch Realty in Fargo is doing a fundraiser to help uh, the kids who are really, um, struggling because they needed school as a regularity and because of COVID-19, they're now without. And so we worked on these details and what we're going to do. And then we finally said, well, are we going to do a Facebook fundraiser, which we know has some fees associated with it, but it has a great ticker that people see, or are we going to do, you know, run it through the, the school's website and then we'll just have to give random updates. We eventually decided let's go with the Facebook route because we think that breeds competition and people can see that ticker. And I'm sure you have a thousand thoughts on the things I've done wrong already. Uh, and yet in that, Patrick, uh, I, I put uh, somehow that I'm the beneficiary of the fundraiser. Yeah. And that I'm the one that's getting all the funds. Like, uh, not that I'm going to donate them, but it's a fundraiser for me because we just said, let's do it instead of sit idly by and figure out everything. Now, if I could do it again, I'd do it better and make it right. But I think the story is still told. We've still, you know, as of right now, we've raised about 6,000 bucks in the last week and uh, we're, we're just having fun with it. Right. And man, perfect is gross. I don't, it doesn't fire me up, man. It, it, it find, find me someone who's raw needs a little help and that I can believe in them. And that gets me lit up, man. I, I'm so jacked to do that. It, it it also breeds conversation because if you're not perfect, people are going to point out, hey, have you thought about this? Not that, oh, you must have already thought about this. You you don't invite um, uh, interaction. You don't invite uh, the ability to sort of work together because you've already got your figured crap out. And so, oh, I guess I guess you don't need me or my advice or my thought process because everything is so buttoned up. And you've got their talking points perfect and you, you say no ums 
Oh, no ums when you speak. Oh, what, what wonderful things. And I think that's a, a turnoff to more authentic donors trying to match up with an authentic organization because they feel connected to it. I don't feel connected to a perfect organization that seems robotic. Um, like you, I just find the ones who are imperfect, but who are just hell bent on being authentic and enthusiastic about it. There is, no, uh, yeah. there, there's a number of nonprofits that I'm connected with in the community. And as you're speaking, I have some light bulbs going off like, oh, that's why that bugs me. Or that's why I love that place. Like it's, it, it <laughs> you, you've just, you've pulled back the curtain, my man. And it's oh, like, that, you, you finally helped me identify some of the, uh, some of the, Ugh, that I have inside of me. You know, one of the things that you've mentioned, well, you, you haven't mentioned it. I'm going to mention it though, because I've, I've, I've heard it from you so many times. And, and while sitting with you and having conversations, um, it's, it's something that I've adopted and I give you credit for it in, you know, when I remember to, but I give you credit for it in, in places and we'll document it now as credit. Um, I remember sitting in your office, uh, sort of brainstorming and ideating, uh, when I should take a leap for this particular business and when I should do this. And, um, it was just, it was just a wonderful conversation and you just sort of listen, which I think nonprofits need to do more often too, which is like, listen and less talk. But one of the things that you consistently say in both interviews and in casual conversation is the term. Well, tell me more about that. I've picked up on this. I've honed in on this and I have used this now because most people have a canned answer that they've already positioned themselves to have, right? I, hey, you're going to ask me about my business. Hey, I, I do this, this, and this, and then I'm done. And then that's what they've prepped in the interview. That's what they've prepped in conversation. They know that as their elevator pitch. And you sort of knock people back on their heels. And, it, and I don't know if you instinctively do this or it's purposeful, but your follow-up question is tell me more about that. And nobody's prepared for that because people don't take the time to draw out that question. And I have stolen the hell out of this in conversation. <laughs> so I will admit here now on the official Do Good Better podcast, I have stolen Eric Hatch's line of tell me more. But where does that come from? And, and how have you drawn out things that you didn't know or interesting fun facts for folks by using the phrase, tell me more? Uh, so my wife hates that question. Uh, just put that out there uh, that, that she's not a fan of it, but it, that is that, that tell me more script is actually the only script that we in a sales profession are trying to adopt. When I started in real estate, I got handed a book about yay thick, you know, a couple of inches thick. And it was all the real estate scripts that you were supposed to use. Uh, the, this is Wolf of Wall Street asker, Boiler Room or Glengarry Glen Ross, and that you're always going to be closing and that you're always going to be looking to get the deal. And it never felt authentic to me and certainly to the people in my world. And so the tell me more uh, script is the only script that we really have stems from our ISA department. It's an inside sales department. And their entire job is to field responses and build relationships with people who are possibly interested in looking for a house mm -hmm. and signed up on a website or called in or whatever it may be. And now we're trying to massage that relationship for months, if not years, in order to get them to say, yes, I'm interested in working with you. So really it was a sales uh, strategy for moment one, and it, it deviated from us having the right thing to say, and instead we want to have the right things to ask. The best scripts are not about what we say, the, the best scripts are the questions that we give. And it really, the, the root of it all, uh, or roots, depends on what part of the country you live in, uh, the, the foundation of everything 
came from hiring. Patrick, if you were to interview for a job with us, uh, we spend, uh, with, there's nine steps to our hiring process. And step number seven is a three-hour interview. Foolishly, we oftentimes look at a resume and spend 30 minutes asking service-level questions that people have already prepared the answer for. And then we'll say, yeah, come into my world. But I work with some of my team members more than I work with my wife and more than I spend time with my wife. And to bring somebody in after a 30-minute resume checking date is irresponsible not only to my team, but to my entire organization and my reputation. And so in the hiring process, we really have honed in on the question of tell me more. So in this three-hour interview, Patrick, you're going to be telling me, uh, okay, I'm going to say, I want your life story. I want the highs and the lows, the peaks and the valleys. I want to know all those things that are a part of your journey. Uh, and don't hold anything back. Now is not a time for meekness or being shy or humble. I want to know the good and the bad. What I can't ask you is I can't say, tell me about your family. Mm -hmm. I can't say, uh, you know, there's, there's those protected things that we can't talk about. But if I say, Patrick, tell me about your life. And you're going to say, well, I was born and raised in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Right. Uh, And I'll be like, oh my gosh, what was that like? And so you'll say, well, it was cool because I drank bourbon all the time. And like, you know, <laughs> uh, you, you go into this story and then I'm going to say, oh, tell me more about that. And the moment you say, tell me more, immediately the person no longer has a script. They have to dig back into whatever it was that actually had them prepare that script. Because if I'm going into an interview or if I'm speaking to someone on the surface level, even before we recorded, you're like, how are you doing? I've been asked that question a thousand times a day for my entire life. And so I just give that scripted answer. Mm-hmm. But then we start asking more of like, well, tell me more about that. Like mm-hmm. all, all of a sudden, we now are dealing with actual connections and actual emotions and actual feelings. And in the base of all those are fear and hope and anxiety and relief and Oh my gosh, that, that's where all the goodness lies is past the surface. We just have to be courageous enough to slow the heck down and to literally listen by simply asking, tell me more. You don't need other scripts in your book. If somebody says, I'm passionate about kids, tell me more about that. And then find out what their story is. Because if you know their story, the, the person who asks the questions is the one who's actually in control, not the one who does all the talking. One of my mentors uh, taught me Never ask uh, for a major gift unless you know the name of your donor's dog. Mm-hmm. And it was so, uh, and I, I'm so emphatic about teaching that um, the same way that you are about tell me more is to know a little bit more about your donor than the size of their checkbook, the amount right. of money they've got in their wallet, because that doesn't matter. doesn't matter. If they're a good advocate for you in a volunteer sense, that could be just as valuable as somebody who's connecting you to somebody else then it could be from them writing you a six-figure check because that person they introduce you could write a seven-figure check or that build relationship, they could introduce you to 10 people who could write you a six-figure check. And that's exponentially better than you going out and asking themselves. You know, you said something interesting about bringing somebody into your organization that would be irresponsible not to take the time to learn a little bit about more about them. I'm thinking uh, it might be irresponsible from an organization to bring in a donor without checking on the background of them, right? You know, if, if they're, if they have ill intent or they don't have a, uh, a, a background that fits your mission, vision, or values, and they're there for the glory of the name on the building and nothing else for the good of those you're serving, 
wouldn't it do yourself a disservice without asking the question, tell me more about that to learn uh, so that you're not bringing in somebody like a Carol Baskins into your organization? Because clearly that's terrible. That's right. Uh, I want to bring this full circle just a little bit. At least it, it clicked for me is if I am listening right now to the, uh, to the podcast and I'm left saying, man, I get it, but I don't have enough time for it. Mm. Right. It, that's, that's that valuable resource where we're saying, go and get more money by investing more time. But frankly, this might be a side hustle for somebody, or uh, you may have limited hours in the day. And we're saying you got to get deeper and spend more time in these relationships. Mm-hmm. Hey, here would be my advice for that is to come back to what we talked about in the beginning. And that is to pay more attention to those in your care, Mm. not your donors, but your team. Mm. Because if you get one great team member, one great volunteer, they can go and tend to 10 volunteers or 10 donors, pardon me. So if, if you only have the capacity for 10 great relationships, build those 10 great relationships with 10 volunteers and not 10 donors, because 10 volunteers can get you a a uh, hundred great donors where if you're the one doing everything for everyone, man, you're just, you're never going to get to where you're being called to go. It's, there's a reason why we had you on the podcast today and it's uh, and it's for that. And it's connecting the dots to a lot of things that people are wondering, uh, which is where do I go from here? What first step do I take? And we got any step as long as it's towards whatever that goal is and uh, using it as authentically and regardless of if it's sloppy or not, um, it's going to be okay if you just move and you do it with passion and you do it with authenticity and you do it with empowering those that are around you uh, to tell your story. And I think this is a conversation that I think nonprofits need to have right now. While you've got some time, where you can listen to this and you can absorb some of this advice that not only works in the business world, but works in the nonprofit world as well. Can't thank you enough for your uh, thought process and uh, your advice today. Um, two, a couple of things. One, how do individuals donate to your current fundraiser um, and how do we get help to you, even though, let's just say people find this podcast months from now, how do they donate to causes that you find near and dear to your heart, specifically with this fundraiser currently? Uh, boy, I, 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 try to, uh, I, I try to pivot to where the need is in the moment, uh, like a firefighter would. A firefighter is not there for the entire time. Um, I, I run a nonprofit called Sell a Home, Save a Child uh, that helps to rescue kids from uh, the sex trade industry and the garbage dumps of uh, some really uh, rough places around the world. And my job is to, uh, I think, introduce rather than to get my hands dirty. It's where my call has been. And so I can't say that uh, with specificity, depending on what somebody digests this, what's going to be the flavor of the week. Uh, but there is, there is a common theme in my world, and that is I care desperately about kids who don't have a fair shake at life. And the reason why is because I wasn't one of those kids who outside of uh, my mom and her family, I had a fair shake at life. And it took invested people and an invested community to give me my chance in life. And I want to continue to pay that forward. And so wherever a kid is uh, that needs a hand up is where my heart is also. Outstanding. And if people are looking for an extended version of this in written form, how can they find play for the person next to you? And uh, where can they get that book? Um, because they should. And if somebody has been following you for the last two years, 
and they've been listening to you give speeches to, you know, high schools or businesses or, or been to one of your conferences or been to something like you've been, you, you've seen this book evolve. Uh, it's kind of fun uh, to see a quote that you're like, wait a second, I've heard, oh, he's just quoting himself because he said that a year and a half ago and it's now in book form. So play for the person next to you. How do they get that book uh, in their little hands to read? Uh, hatchingleaders.com. Uh, I put my name on everything again, uh, hatchingleaders.com where you can learn about speaking and fundraisers and coaching. Uh, but it's also where we sell our book and, uh, I have a podcast as well called hatching leaders, uh, very clever also. And so, uh, yeah, everything is at hatchingleaders.com if you want to digest it, or if you want to pay the man more than you want to pay me, go to Amazon and buy the book. I love it. Uh, as somebody who has uh, paid very close attention to uh, Eric and his uh, his marketing abilities, the fact that I have do-gooders on everything is very uh, cleverly disguised as a way to uh, imitate uh, the one who does it best, uh, which is uh, Eric Hatch, who has been our guest today. Of course, all those uh, links will be in our show notes as well. Um, Eric, thank you so much, not only for kind of what you're doing in the community to to help others, but for taking time this morning and kind of giving as much advice as you can humanly possibly give in a short period of time. And I think it's going to help a lot of people. Uh, this perspective was well needed and I appreciate you as a person and as a human, as a friend, as a business uh, mentor, uh, but as just a general person, uh, I appreciate you for being on the official Do Good Better podcast. Oh, you do good, man. I'm proud of you. Thanks. We'll uh, chat soon. Stick around, uh, grab some notes, grab a book and uh, Hey, thanks for joining us on the official do good better podcast there are countless videos books articles and folks out there with suggestions on how to raise more money of course that's a major problem too much information do good university has an online library of lectures courses and trainings that concentrate on one thing making fundraising simple Come join other like-minded do-gooders who are looking to unclutter their fundraising life. Enroll at Do Good University today at dogoodbetterconsulting.com.